Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Beth Clifton of Animals 24-7. Beth, I'd like to uh, welcome you to the show. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you for having me. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how you got started in animal welfare and maybe a little bit about your history. My first memory of, of animal welfare is a photograph that I remember that I suppose my mom or, or dad took when I was about three years old of me kissing a cat on its backside. <laughs> but then once I grew up, um, in the 80s, I was a Miami Beach police officer and on mounted patrol. From there, I raised my family, my children. I have three children. Soon thereafter, uh, throughout the years, I've been a vet tech in various clinics, including high-volume, low-cost spay-neuter clinic, uh, and also an animal control officer in Polk County, Florida. You've named it. You've probably done it. Yes, I've worn many, many hats, and much of it involves animals. Um, I was also an elementary school teacher for a short period of time when my children were very young. So, yes, but I do have a great deal of experience with animals, much of which, aside from working at the the veterinary clinics, at PAWS, Pasco Animal Welfare Society, spay-neuter clinic. I handled a lot of cats, all kinds of cats. Wow. And when was that? When was the the PAWS clinic? From about 2010 to about 2012, somewhere in there, about two years. Um, I was in charge of the shock clinic where people could just walk in without appointments and we would do vaccines and it was, you know, we did spay-neuter surgeries on ferals and owned cats. I have some crazy cat stories, one of which one of the ferals escaped before surgery and attached itself to my leg. Of course, we had no record of it having vaccines or anything and I was very, very concerned that the cat would be euthanized. So I made sure that didn't happen. And also, because I was an animal control officer, I'd already had my series of vaccines, rabies vaccines. So everything was okay. And the cat went back to where it belonged after it was spayed. And then you um, met Merritt and started working with him and actually, you know, eventually married him too? Yes. Merritt and I met on Facebook, believe it or not. Oh. I didn't I didn't really know much about him at all and I didn't have much contact with him, but at some point he invited me to a Humane Society of the United States conference in Daytona Beach and I took him up on it. We met there and we spent a lot of time on the phone because I was in Florida. He was in Washington and in 2014 we married. And uh, we're coming up on our third anniversary, too. And so I'm crazy things, about him. <laughs> one of the things um, that we were talking about in the uh, the 
pre-show interview section was the fact that you really had different opinions about TNVR. You're using the Florida terminology. I'm not sure what other states use it, but in, in Florida, it seems like everybody uses TNVR, trap, neuter, vaccinate, return. And But you, you initially had um, a thought about trap, neuter, vaccinate, return in one light, and then you progressed to being a strong proponent of feral cat colony management. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, share with us a little bit about that evolutionary process that you had. I have never had outdoor cats. All of my cats have always been very pampered, lived inside. You know, I always felt bad for the cats that I would see outside. And as a police officer and as an animal control officer, I would go on calls, particularly as an animal control officer, I'd go on calls of complaints. The neighbor's cat is on my car or there's an injured cat in my driveway, you know, that's been hit by a car. So most of my contact with feral and stray cats were when they were in trouble or causing a problem. So that was why I developed this feeling that, okay, it's very cruel to have these cats left outside to fend for themselves. However, I talked to a friend also in Florida who's involved in trap neuter release, and her name is Marilyn. She told me, well, Beth, if you don't do something, what do you want to do, kill them all? And I didn't really have a good answer for her. I didn't know. I didn't have enough knowledge other than my experience as an animal control officer. And at that point, TNR was not really all that popular. And there was a lot of people that were against it. So when Merritt and I married, this was a huge learning experience for me because he, as you know, he's a wealth of knowledge and he has a wealth of experience with all kinds of animals, including feral and stray cats. And so he began to tell me things that caused me to look at TNR in a different light. First of all, the thing that struck me the most interesting is that it's important when you trap a cat and fix a cat to put the cat back in a safe place. In other words, if you trap a cat from uh, a place where there's a lot of cars or that could cause a nuisance, you don't put them back there. I'm not really sure what you should do with them, but you don't put them back there. Truly feral cats, which are basically wild animals, can be trapped, spayed or neutered, and released without feeding them. What feeding does, and I know a lot of people will disagree, and this might cause a huge problem, (laughs) but what feeding them does is it creates a nuisance. In some cases, I, I think there you probably have to feed for a certain period of time to trap them. Um, There may be specific times when you need to feed short term, but feeding them, in in my opinion, and I believe in Merritt's opinion, is bad news because you're attracting all kinds of cats. It's often not even done right. Good-intentioned people are attracting cats where people don't want them. And in my own neighborhood in Newport Ritchie years ago, we had a problem where 
this was going on where novices, I suppose you could say, were feeding cats, and somebody took it upon themselves to poison them, beat them, and uh, I made it my mission. I was constantly walking the neighborhood trying to find out who was doing this, and never could. In the end, we, I never could find out. So under the right circumstances, and, and when it's done correctly, I do believe that TNR is the humane thing to do. Putting a stray cat, which is obviously stray, you can definitely tell the difference if you know what you're doing between a feral cat and a stray cat. A stray cat can be very scared and possibly aggressive, but when you see a feral cat in a trap, you know what you have. And I think it's very cruel to put a stray cat out there that was once owned fend for itself and most likely is going to get hit by a car or eaten by a dog or a coyote. That's how my feelings about TNR have evolved. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. The Community Cats podcast is now getting over 3,000 downloads a month. The word is spreading, and we have a fast-growing listener support base. Would your business want to be a sponsor of the show and help us to continue our programs? To find out more details, please go to www.communitycatspodcast.com sponsor. There's so many people who feed cats in their communities and, and do it just sort of in an ad hoc way, and it's not in an organized way. And as you say... They're good intentions, but the results may cause a problem. You are reacting towards that whole the nuisance call situation. And if I start feeding some cat that just happens to be walking through my backyard and I decide to put some food out for that cat, then they go and sit on my neighbor's car and puts paw prints all over the car. I've encouraged that nuisance call that then spirals into becoming a problem for whoever owns that cat or a problem just for that feral cat in general, um, because we are also dealing with indoor-outdoor owned cats, too, in this whole mosaic of community cats. There's just many, many different layers of different kinds of cats that are out there. I feel that if you are going to take on the responsibility of feeding There needs to be a whole, basically, a management plan around it. There needs to be shelter provided as well as the feeding area that is hard for, you're not just throwing dry food down on the ground. You're taking responsibility and obligation. And and we use that model in, in Newburyport to really be able to get that population of cats, the 300 cats, down to none at this point in time. There are definitely different approaches to it, but I think you and I are both on the same page of random acts of scatter feeding are, mm-hmm. are not the best way to go if you want to help cats in your community. And you certainly need to have the responsibility of fixing those cats you know, before, right. and before feeding them. I'd also like to say one of the most important things, in my opinion, is to take personal responsibility. And also, when you're feeding cats outside like that, you're dropping food and you're doing it haphazardly. I personally have witnessed raccoons coming and feeding with the cats. Now, Mm -hmm. you know that 
maybe some people will say, oh, look at the cute raccoon. But there's a lot of people who know that raccoons can carry rabies and it's a problem. They don't want them there. You know, they don't want the crazy cat lady next to them attracting cats. So I've never done it. I don't. When I moved here, Merritt had several feral cats that he inherited when he bought the house. They were here. So he trapped them. He had them spayed and neutered. He found a home for one of them. There are two cats that are left now that live under the house. However, they have access to coming in the house through the cat door to eat, to drink, for warmth. And also Merritt had fenced off the backyard so that the cats, all the cats, have a safe place to go out and enjoy the outdoors. But wildlife can't come in and they can't. Once in a while, a rodent might come in, but for the most part, everybody's safe, including the cats, and we're not creating a nuisance. And Mm -hmm. I've gotten the two cats outside, inside, outside, their names are Red and Oops, to be close (laughs) enough to me where I can, as a vet tech, I feel the, the need to do this, be able to take a look at them, make sure that they're healthy, you know, their eyes are clear. That makes me feel better because I have not had outside cats, and it's a whole new thing for me. But Merritt had a perfect setup here, and my cats, one of which was bottle-fed, absolutely love it here because they can come in, they can come out, and they're having a wonderful life here. And that's one of the larger conversations of our indoor-only cats, too, is are we harming them by having them be indoor-only? and you know, we so catios are becoming very popular these days right. because it's important that our cats do have stimulation and exercise and all of that. So trying to find out what what the right balance is. And I have to chuckle at your comment a bit about the, the vet tech in you <laughs> needing to be able to evaluate and make sure that everybody is healthy and well. I have had feral cats. I've owned quite a few feral cats over the years. And I always reference them sort of as the no see because mm-hmm. they're they're around, but you can't, like you said, you can't touch them. You can't feel what their body composition is like. You can't make sure that they're getting, you know, the right amount of food. And that's the, the difference, I think, from the cat and the dog world is we have to let some things go. And it's very hard for us to let it go because the cat control. Oh, that have was one of control. the most difficult things I found here because that's exactly what they were to merit, no see And I wasn't going to put up with that one. So I made it my mission to at least Red will put his nose on my finger if I stick it outside the uh, cat door. And then they get their treats. And boy, do they want their treats. So I've managed. They were. They didn't want any part of me, much less the three cats that I brought with me, who, by the way, absolutely adore Merritt. And then one of the cats, Allie, who was also a feral, decided she wanted to be in here with the other cats. So she Mm -hmm. went to being outside with all of the other ferals to now she hangs out inside the house and she will let me get close enough to put treats down. But she looks at me like, lady, I will never trust you. I had a feral cat, Katina, who um, lived to be about 16, 17 years old. And the only time she ever let me 
really get my hands on her was the day she passed away. So it was the, it, it's one of those things too with the ferals. And I know it's always sad to talk about, but I feel that they have a lot of control over when their time has come. But it's very hard for us I agree. to not want to grab them and medicate them. And, you know, it's very challenging. It's one of the harder parts of this whole community cat realm is yeah. letting feral cats be feral cats. And that's really, really hard for me. I, I've accepted it now. Um, but Merritt will tell you, I'll, I'll kiss any animal that, that stands still. So, um, <laughs> yes. And, and am I attached to those cats? Oh boy, am I attached to those cats. I, I talk to them and they listen. They listen mm-hmm. once in a while, red, this big orange tabby with his big old head. Once in a while, will grace his presence and come into the kitchen with me and sit there. If I make one move towards him, he's gone. But mm-hmm. at this point, I can even tell which cats are coming in by how they're going through the door and the sounds they make. And, and cats are just wonderful. So, Beth, maybe uh, we'll turn the table just a little bit here. And if you can let me know, what is your position uh, at Animals 24-7? What is the expression on the cook? <laughs> Chief cook and bottle washer. But my official title is social media editor, which I've decided is only Facebook because Twitter to me is kind of useless. Photographs are very important in what we do. And also I'm the photographer. So I I mentioned to Merritt this morning that I can't believe I've always wanted to take pictures and I always wished I was an artist. So somehow I've found a way to put the two together. Anyway, my, my, my job is to help Merritt with photographs in the articles, finding the photographs, information, and getting it out on Facebook. A lot of it is also my detective skills as a police officer, finding out information on the Internet. And I'm very, very happy that I'm able to help Merritt. Merritt, there's only one Merritt in this world, and I'm very proud that he's my husband. He's done a lot for animals and people. I'm glad that I'm there with him to help. And he's a wonderful guy. And it's always about Uh, merit. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're, I would like to ask your opinion on taking photographs. So much of our business revolves around taking good pictures, being able to tell stories. Do you have any tips for folks of small organizations that are busy, 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 everybody's always doing stuff, and how to be able to get, you know, the best pictures, and what are, you know, the best uses for those pictures? Well, how I handle it, it's very hard to always have your camera with you. We did invest in a decent camera. It was modestly priced, but it was a good camera. But, you know, something is going to come up and you're not going to have your camera. So my first advice is get a phone with a good camera on it. Because some of the most amazing pictures, which I never expected to get, were all because of my phone. I had my phone with me. And just in our day today, Merritt and I spend a lot of time outside. We go to the beach. uh, And I've had opportunities with my phone to take amazing pictures. It's so much easier to edit them. There's all kinds of things you can do, applications you can download. My advice to take pictures is 
have a really good phone with you. I made friends with a seal down at the beach who was very ill, I guess, and he let me get so close I could almost touch him. Took Hmm. photographs, and he healed up, obviously, and he's been coming to visit us since then. He doesn't get too close. He's a wild animal, and that's how we want to keep it. But his name is Sidney, and he does come and visit, and he wants to make sure that we see him. So I have some amazing photographs of Sydney from my cell phone. There you you are making friends with with even more more animals in the in the neighborhood, and Sydney's letting you get get close. The vet tech in you wants to get even closer. I bet. Well, um, well, yeah. If I could kiss him, I would, but Merritt would probably <laughs> not allow that. So Beth, if folks are interested in asking you some follow up questions or finding out more about the work that you do at Animals 24-7, how would they find you? Well, our web address is www.animals247.org. And if you prefer to call or email, our information is on the website. We'd be happy to talk to you. I appreciate you having Merritt and I on the show, and we always enjoy talking to you and listening to you. Beth, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep taking those photos of the of the animals and keep doing what everybody's doing. I guess Um, the most important thing I would like to say is taking personal responsibility for an animal that you find or an animal that you see in need. Take personal responsibility for that animal. And if you do that, you can't go wrong. That's great. That's excellent. We do try and look for a quote for all of our shows, so I think we may have just found our quote. Oh, so thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on the show, and we will uh, hopefully have you on in the future. Thank you, Stacy. Support Boston's Gifford Cat Shelter Spring Soiree and Silent Auction on April 22nd from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Needham Town Hall. There will be fun food and festivities. For more information, go to GiffordSpringSoiree.org or go to GiffordCatsShelter.org. Ah!